Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland, and together, alongside my nursing students, I bring together my friends and colleagues in an effort to answer the questions, provide mentorship, and oftentimes help other professional nurses along the way. Hope you enjoy these episodes. Nicole Sunderland, and I'm joined with a whole ton of students today. And today's episode, we have Shelby Smith, who was my coworker and then left us, rude, for CRNA school. Uh, I have to say, just to say this about Shelby, because I did say it after we stopped recording last week, I think. Shelby is the one of the best ICU nurses I have ever been, had the pleasure to work with. She's kicked my butt so many times in a very good way. And I can tell you stories upon stories. We'll probably get into those today a little bit about things that she, she would have done, you know, for, let's say for me, um, to help me be a better nurse. She has, what is it, like 15 years experience, 13 years experience total? Seventeen this year. Jesus. I'm working on 10. I'm pushing 10 here. And last year... Uh, decided to, or two, I would probably say like two years ago now, because it's, it's a long process, mm-hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, decided to make the push to go to CRNA school. Yeah, my interview was two years ago. That's, that's crazy. Um, so I'm just going to jump right into it. CRNA school is probably the most daunting school, aside from DMP, PhD, uh, to apply to. And I say that because there's a lot of MP schools, and they can be very challenging to get into, no doubt. But I think CRNA school, you know, carries that, holy crap, I'm going to go for CRNA school. I'm actually going to do it. I have a lot to risk here, you know. So tell me about that process. What was that process like when you finally thought, you know, I'm going to do CRNA school. Holy crap, what am I doing? Yeah, so I knew, you know, I decided in 2015 to go back for my bachelor's finally. Um, because I knew that I wanted to do something more. Um, so I started in June of 2015. And um, in between starting and I graduated in December of 16, I had a baby in there too. Um, but when I, when I was going through my BSN, I really kind of just decided then that I wanted to pursue CRNA school and started the application process as soon as I finished with my bachelor's, um, started studying for GREs and with having a baby under a year old plus two toddlers, it was honestly just too much. So I ended up withdrawing my initial application um, and then continued to study for my GREs and completed the application in 2018. Um, And really it consisted of, you know, you had to shadow in the OR to make sure that that was really something that you wanted to do. Um, You know, all of your transcripts, um, your letter of intent, recommendation letters, um, your GRE scores, and they kind of take all of the applicants and um, see how they look on paper and pick, I think there were about 30 to 40 uh, individuals that they interviewed the year that I was accepted. And then from there, 16 are selected with two alternates for people that um, decide not not to go to York. Um, The interview process was, they split us up over four different interview times, um, extremely daunting, Um, 30 minute interviews in each room with three people in each room. So it was three people interviewing you and um, you're made to talk a lot. Um, It was, mine was more geared around what my experience has been. Um, how am I going to do it with three kids and being married and living uh, the furthest away from campus? 
Um, and it was really just a, a time to kind of express yourself, uh, show what your strengths were, and um, got the call that night that I was accepted. That was like the most exciting thing that I think you had yeah. gone through. <laughs> and I was like so excited for you. Because yeah. I knew how hard you would work to get into that school as well. Yeah. What, why did you choose nurse anesthesia? Like what, what made you decide to do that path over something else? Um, so my entire experience has been ICU. Um, I love it. I am really good at it. Uh, I know that I'm good at it. And um, it was really down between um, an acute care nurse practitioner or a CRNA um, as where I wanted to go. And a CRNA still, you know, I'm still the one caring for the patient. And that's the part of nursing that I loved, just, you know, being very hands-on. Um, but a CRNA, you're, you know, making decisions in real time. Uh, someone's not making the decision and you're following through with it. Um, it's still... Uh, critical care, it's still fast paced, things change um, very quickly. Um, my favorite patients were the one-on-ones where things are changing quickly and they're sick and it's up to you to notice, you know, small changes in their assessment and vital signs and pick those things up and relay those to the physicians that are in the room for only 20 minutes a day. Um, and I, being a CRNA allows you to do that. I think you bring up such a good point to make when you say that you know you're a good ICU nurse. And, and I want everybody to know that Shelby is not someone that is, you know, cocky about it. She has a way about her that she knows she's good and she'll also teach you how to be good. And that's the part of Shelby that I think probably got her into CRNA school, you know, above, above everything else too. But Shelby has been a preceptor for like se several years, I think. And even then had a very calm, cool, collect, but very serious tone about what she was doing. And some of those parallels, when we talk about CRNA school, when, when she kind of like t tells me how she's doing and stuff, you see that. And you see how challenging the school is and you see how challenging like she challenged everyone else. So I think it's kind of like one of those things that like, I'm glad that your school has challenged you to kind of be like, yes, I am that good. Because I think that when you step into maybe that world, it becomes that challenge of like, let's, let's have you step up, you know, like let's have you prove to yourself that you are that good. And I think you have to know that about yourself before you even apply to something like this. Am I wrong with saying that? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, I think my experience has, um, definitely given me an edge on uh, how I manage um, the clinical aspect of things. Um, we haven't gotten into the OR yet, um, but we were uh, doing just our simulations. And, you know, the group, um, you know, just always, you know, commented, you're always so calm when you're at the head of the bed. You don't, don't show that you're getting flustered. You are prepared for whatever they throw at you. And I, I think that is part of that just comes with time and experience and, you know, walking into a room and not, not to, not to sound bad about it, but taking control, letting everyone know in the room who's in charge, that I'm going to do everything I can to take care of you, and I'm going to do it with 100% of my ability. And that comes with experience, I think. I want to say that that is exactly how we probably would run codes in an ICU situation. Or that's how we're taught to, to do that. It might not be you yourself handling that situation, but you know, for my students, we go to a virtual world of doing CPR, of doing mop codes, all that stuff. We just had this conversation last week too with Kevin about how, you know, you're thrown to, to the situation and the first couple of times can be really daunting and you're, you're all 
place, you're flustered, you're not so focused, but as you get better at those situations and as you handle yourself better and as you learn things, if you continually throw yourself into a learning curve, you will become that confident person that you are. As long as you stay in it, right? You can't just kind of like be there for a year or two and decide, I'm going to do this, but I don't have enough confidence. I think that your point of maintaining that experience and maintaining that I'm going to learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and then see yourself how challenged you are in senior high school, but then see how your students or your classmates, excuse me, are kind of like you're very calm, cool, collected is one of the best things to parallel being a student nurse that's baccalaureate prepared and then going to become an RN at a hospital. And then now as a CRNA student becoming a nurse anesthetist. So from that, um, I think it drives a point to that when you're interviewing for these type of schools and they look for experience, I think you mentioned something about um, being a far away from school mm -hmm. and needing to interview and then challenging with that. How hard has it been or how challenging has it been, I should say, stepping back into the world of CRNA school full time, studying, 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 you know, being out of that realm for, for a period of years? Um, it, it's been a challenge. Um, you know, even when I, uh, was going for my ADN, I was still working. Um, but I didn't have a family at that time. Um, my bachelor's, um, I had to put the time into it. I still worked full time. Um, but this has been a whole new ball game. Um, you know, I, on average, um, spend 60 to 70 hours a week on schoolwork, whether it's preparing for classes, reading, um, developing care plans. Um, and then I have an hour and 15 minute drive one way. Um, now, since March, we've all been at home. Um, so that's definitely saved me some time, but um, it's been a huge culture shock. You know, I went from kind of being at the top of my game back to square one again. Um, and we were all kind of on equal ground in the classroom, but how I learned and how I studied 20 years ago is definitely different than what, what I'm using now and how I'm studying now. What are you doing um, new and differently? Um, <laughs> Well, I'm studying a whole lot more. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, you know, reading. Um, I used to go over my notes all the time, you know, rewrite my notes. Um, and there's just not enough time. There's so much um, material that we cover on a daily and weekly basis that it's just, it's not practical. Um, it's a lot of reviewing um, PowerPoints and quizzing each other. We've done um, Zoom sessions where we just run down through PowerPoints and quiz each other. Um, and it's a lot of repetition going over things again and again and again, because otherwise it just doesn't stick. That's good to know. Does that stick? I think certainly, so you're in a DNP program mm -hmm. for CRNA. And when I did my master's, it was all online. So it was very new to me. And the majority of it was paper writing, reading, and responding to online comments. Was it was essentially my, my program. Then we had a, a big project and we had clinical experiences and we had to get so many hours. And it was challenging. Doesn't seem as challenging as CRNA school though. Like that seems kind of like insane to me that you know it's that much studying. And I and I think that 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 adds a lot of value to what I'm trying to do here is getting a real picture of what it looks like so that people are more prepared for it when they want to go apply. Um, how many schools did you apply to in your journey? Um, so I started, um, when I started looking, I went to Villanova for an open house and um, went to York, sat in on a class and talked with um, three of the professors there. I knew that York was my first choice. Um, I did end up applying to Villanova as well. 
um, and withdrew my application just with some difficulties that I um, came across with dealing some, with some of their administrative personnel with the application process. Um, and it was, I mean, it worked out fine for me. Um, I was cautioned by multiple people to not put all my eggs in one basket. Um, but I knew that I wanted the opportunity at York um, and that's where I was gonna go. That's awesome. Cause I, I think you also mentioned that you were able to have more of a life uh, life work balance at York as well. Yeah. And go ahead, sorry. They, um, they very much value, value you as an individual and understand that life happens, um, you know, things, things come up um, that are going to come up over the course of three years. Um, this semester especially has been extremely challenging for um, just me as an individual and my family. We all had the flu um, at the beginning of the year um, and I was down for four weeks and moms don't get a break. Um, so, you know, sick, still trying to do schoolwork. I missed a, just a week of class, um, but it took a full four weeks for me to feel better. Um, my kids were sick. I broke my ankle on Easter and we've been trying to do Zoom, still trying to keep my um, two boys into school, doing homeschooling um, and my husband's still working full time. So, I mean, they, um, I, I've never questioned the support that I have through that program at all, which just further solidifies that I picked the right school for, for me. Yeah, that's, that's the most important thing I think you mentioned is that picking the right school for you, mm -hmm. um, because I think that that's so important as you step in, away from clinical bedside, because Zeremy School does not let you work, maybe for like a little tiny bit in the very beginning, but it's not recommended. And that's for most programs. Knowing what you know now, do you think that GRE is important to apply to CRNA school? Uh, at this point, York requires it. Um, there are some that do not require it. If your GPA, I think for Villanova, it was up. It was over a three point five. Um, I think that's just a you know for me. You know, my my bachelor grade was pretty high. I think I came came out of that with a 3.9 and they liked that being an adult learner. Um, but they also saw that with my GREs that, yeah, I, I studied for them um, and it showed in the scores that I got. That's really nice because I, I know a few um, schools don't require the GRE. I personally looked into DMP schools that I could get that wave or things like that, because I don't have enough time to study for the GRE. Not saying that there's not a value to it. I just kind of want an opinion for people that are looking at different schools that may not require it, but also may think maybe this is important. I probably should take it, or maybe it'll challenge them, things like that. And you know, if York is interviewing you, or if school's interviewing you, I should say, and they and they look at your scores on that, that can have a very value-added bonus to your application process. Like if, even if school doesn't like accept it or need it it could add value to, you know, making your packet much more, you know, bringing the boom and the firework and things like that. So I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that my, um, my application was really strong just with my experience, my um, committee work, um, being involved in the nursing community. Um, and then with my, um, BSN, G uh, GPA, and my GRE scores. It was, and you want to be careful on who you are um, asking for your recommendation letters. Um, I picked um, a former coworker that I was her preceptor, um, but she also went to CRNA school. So she was a CRNA, or she was in school when she wrote my recommendation letter. Um, and then I picked one of the docs that I work with um, because I knew both of them would give me really strong recommendation letters. Did you need any kind of um, uh, like a professional recommendation, such as like somebody that has 
a CRNA behind their name or even a manager recommendation? No. So I, um, York requires uh, whoever you shadow with in the OR uh, to write your recommendation letter. Um, and then, um, like I said, I used uh, professional, they wanted professional references. So I know um, some people use an educator, a nurse manager. Um, I used, I wanted someone that could speak to my ability as a preceptor and my knowledge base and how I um, kind of help them develop into the ICU nurse that they were, um, but also someone that could see that knew my abilities um, as a bedside nurse and of what it was like, um, how do I word this? So the physician that wrote my recommendation letter is an anesthesiologist by trade, but also um, a critical care intensivist. So he knew where I was coming from, what I was going into, and could speak to, to what he thought my ability would be in the operating room. That's pretty cool. What was the shadowing experience like? What, what goes into that? What's your day like? Can you kind of like detail that for us a little bit? Because I'm, I'm, I'm also interested. I have no clue what goes into it, you know, besides like, oh, I'm shadowing somebody. Um, so we, this semester got, uh, <laughs> a lot of it was changed because of um, COVID-19. Um, we were, part of our clinical experience for this semester was our uh, simulation cases, um, shadowing in the OR with CRNAs at York Hospital, um, and then our IV days. Um, so I only got to shadow twice in the OR this semester. During the application process, I shadowed at Hershey um, just because that's where I worked. Um, I didn't have to go through, um, I didn't have to show my proof of vaccinations, um, and some of the other paperwork that's required because I was already an employee there. Um, so that's why I decided to shadow at Hershey. Um, it's, it's a whole different world. Um, you know, you step into, into the OR, um, you know, you have big machines, you're in a crammed area. Um, it's, overwhelming at first. Um, it's still overwhelming to me when I go in. Um, you know, you greet the, in the morning, you greet the patient in the same day surgery area. You're the one that brings them into the operating room. You get them onto the table, hooked up to the equipment. You have literally 10, 15 minutes with this patient that you're trying to develop trust you're trying to calm their nerves because everyone is nervous when they're going into surgery and you're trying to keep everything in your head straight, um, especially as someone starting out of, okay, this is what I need to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Um, this is what I need to look out for. And that it's just constantly circling. Um, you know, once you get the induction completed, you know, you're, a lot of people think, you know, oh, it, anesthesia, give them the chair and then they'll just sit there and do whatever. But I, there's so much into manage, you know, managing the patient during surgery. Um, different surgeries require different things. Uh, you have all the patient's comorbidities that you're trying to sort through and manage. Um, and then you have to get them awake and stable and to pack you or to the ICU, wherever they may be going. Um, and that's your job. It's, it's a daunting um, process, especially when you're just starting out. It sounds frightening, uh, frankly, coming from ICUs that can get pretty busy sometimes and then stepping into that world. You know, I think that it's a lot of controlled chaos sometimes and the people that do it well, do it really well. And you have no clue that they're doing it so well, because I remember, um, a couple like cases and the CRNA comes and they're just so happy. Like, hey, I'm gonna meet you today. We're gonna put you to sleep. It's gonna be great. You yeah. And they're just trying to be nice because they're trying to build rapport with this patient who's mm -hmm. freaking out inside. And 
is going to go, you know, down to this whole freezing OR under bright lights and this cold table and just the whole other other world. That's that's kind of that's kind of insane. Yeah. Um, the uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my second um, my second OR day at York. Um, so I got to do the induction, put the breathing in. Um, you know, I didn't manage the case. That wasn't our responsibility there. It was to, you know, we were allowed to do skills that we would are already signed off on from the sim lab. Um, and just seeing how they're managing them, ask the CRNA questions and the CRNA that I was with that day was phenomenal. Um, and we talked about, so we ran a, a TIVA, which is a total IV anesthetic. Um, and just how, you know, he managed the, there were four different medications he ran, um, how he managed them, um, how they worked in the body, how they worked together in the body. Um, and then woke her up, sent her off, um, got our next patient in, um, and then it was time for me to leave. So I ended up going back over to um, the same day area, our initial patient was getting ready to be discharged. And so it was my very first intubation. And I was like, you know, is your throat sore at all? How are you feeling? And she felt and looked great. Um, and that was, that was an amazing feeling knowing that I put a breathing tube in without causing any trauma, um, which, you know, as you're learning happen um, because you are learning. Uh, and you have to give yourself a little bit of grace, which I, uh, it's been difficult uh, me personally to do that, um, but I'm learning to, but it was, it was a, uh, it was a great feeling um, knowing that I didn't cause any undue stress to this woman who had surgery. That's, that's kind of been the coolest thing, not only to feel that way about patient care, but also you know, coming from an ICU that routinely intubates, uh, I would say any ICU probably routinely intubates people and being, and being witness to that. And you're like, man, I wish, I wish I could do that. Right. Like you get into the situations where the, where the anesthesia team comes in and they have it very controlled and then they're just like, and they put the tube in them and then like they kind of walk away. And you're like, that's the most exciting part of the whole thing aside from patient care. But when you do that yourself, that's probably like your mind just explodes. Yeah. You're like, holy crap, I just did that. Like, I just did a safe paint and it didn't go into their butt. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not like you know, putting air into their belly. Yeah. It's actually going into their lungs. It's probably like one of the coolest things outside of like nailing a really tough IV stick in a patient that has rolling veins and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, you had mentioned in your shadowing days that you do IV days. Is that correct? We were, yeah. Mm -hmm. What What is an IV day? Do you just go around practicing IVs on everybody? Pretty, yeah, we're in the same day unit. So patients that are coming in for surgery, um, we just uh, were there for usually about four hours in the morning, um, putting IVs into pretty much everybody that was coming in for surgery. Have you done any central lines yet? Not yet. Damn. Because I am <laughs> to do that and that's why also gonna be a wild experience to yeah in the um in sim lab we did um that was also right around the time that i was sick um i'll let you know i'll let you know after after my first one i, I expect 20 text messages telling me how how well you did yeah as yeah. quick as someone's subclavian or interdugular you know one of those two that'd be yeah you know. i don't know how i feel about the central lines yet but i really think i'm gonna like the uh spinals and epidurals why do you say that just be, um i really like doing ivs too um i just it's a it's a whole different process um i mean there are a lot of things that can go wrong with the spinal and epidural um I don't know. I just, I really think I'm going to like doing those. We've only done them. We've only done them in sim so far. So now I, I have a question. So is it because we've seen so many lumbar punctures where they couldn't get the CFF? <laughs> like, oh, I could get that. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now if you're young, you're like, no, it's, it's a little bit tougher than that. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, just, you know, when we were doing it in sim, um, and obviously everything in sim, you know, yes, it's somewhat accurate. It's not really accurate. You know, it's, um, it's where you can learn without really hurting someone. Um, and get some type of knowledge base. Um, the thing that I really like is like, we are never alone. Um, even as a student in the OR, you're never alone. You either have a CRNA or the anesthesiologist with you, um, especially starting out at all times. So, um, you know, I, I just, I, um, I really think I'm gonna like doing more of the procedural type um, type stuff. So we'll see, that might change. Right, I, I remember when, when I first started, uh, I fell in love with just doing procedural stuff. Like dressing changes are my favorite thing in the world because I'm super OCD, you're like, nah, that's gross. But I love them, like I love packing a wound, I love making that dressing look nice, you know, and whatever. So that's just me, but you'll probably be like, no, that's gross. I'm like doing other things like IV. <laughs> um, how important is it to be certified prior to going into CRNA school? Um, I think certification is important just no matter where you are. Um, you know, as a bedside nurse, I thought that it was important just because I was an ICU nurse and I wanted, I really wanted proof that this is, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. Um, and, you know, that's just taking an extra step into development of yourself. Um, you know, whether it's, you get your emergency room certification or oncology or ICU, you know, whatever you're doing. Um, I think it's important just to have that for yourself and develop yourself and continue to learn. Um, as far as for school, um, again, York requires it. Um, that was part of um, part of the application process that you either had it or you were soon sitting for it. Um, and I think it, again, it just speaks to your number one, willingness to develop yourself and um, add to the profession. I think it also adds, adds that value to validate yourself against other people in your field. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do things outside of the hospital that have to do with nursing, it's one of those markers that says, I validated myself. I took the time to learn this. I spent, I don't know how many hours it is. It's a, it's a ton of hours. Like I think like two years experience full time, I think it could be off though. And took the test and spent the time reviewing it and actually understand it. Like I'm just taking the test just to get the credentials because there's a lot more that goes into, you know, as an example, the CCRN, which is one of the most widely used credentials in nursing that I think people should not take it with a, with a grain of salt, but I think everybody, whether it's a CCRN, PCCN exam, CCRNK, um, and even the tele-ICU exam, there's a whole bunch of different certifications out there underneath the umbrella of the ACN really could benefit from to help validate themselves in whatever kind of notion that they want to travel into that, that, that path. Um, so I think that's, that's a really good thing. Along your journey, though, you had mentioned to me how important it is to be involved outside of the hospital, but also within the field of nursing. Describe that to my students, if you could, and also why is it important to, to be involved and, and what benefits did, did you see from that? Um, so I, I was a national member of AACN um, and then was invited um, to join the Susquehanna Valley chapter of AACN. Um, and then after joining, I... Um, applied for and was selected to the board. Um, and my role was for uh, membership. Um, but we all kind of collectively added um, just value to every aspect of the, um, of the committee. Um, you know, again, it's, 
professional development. Um, it's trying to a lot of a lot of the um, work that we did was engaging other ICU nurses from our area um, to improve themselves through education. Um, and it number one helps with networking. I worked at um, Holy Spirit and Hershey, um, but I know people from all over that are still working in other ICUs. Um, and it just helps to, um, number one, get your name out there. People know who you are, um, know your strengths, being in, um, being part of the committee, but also knowing some of your strengths that you um, bring to the table from the bedside. Um, what was the other part of that? Sorry, right. my my brain is like tapped after this past week. It's fine. Just just describe it. This is so informal. It's great. I love it. Like what was that? Other part of that question? I don't remember. Um, we were talking about how important it is to get out there and be a part of nursing in the professional realm, not in your hospital, but also you know just outside of things. And so I was really I was really putting in on your your board experience and what that meant. Um, like the pros to it, the networking is great, you know, anything, anything else that you really want to get on to. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's definitely not for everybody. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but I did have to step back from it after, um, I left after I had my third child, um, just because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't enough time. Um, I do think it's important. It, it definitely um, helped develop me a little bit. Um, I learned a little bit more about what goes into um, holding an educational conference, the amount of work that's involved with that. Um, and I'll, again, with networking to get sponsors, people to pay for the conference so that um, you're able to make some money off of it so that you're able to do more, um, more with that. Um, you know, I don't, I think it's important to get involved no matter whether it's outside the hospital, within the hospital, um, you know, what, what you do adds value. Um, you bring a unique perspective, um, even from just being a different ICU nurse, you know, a different ICU than another ICU. Um, and you can you can help bring about change um, by being involved. I think that's awesome. I think, I think you know, them hearing it from someone else other than myself, because I talk about myself a lot, especially clinicals. But to really help see that, like, I'm not just talking about myself, I'm just talking about myself. I talk about myself because other people have influenced me to do these things. And Shelby and I have sat on the same board together with the SVACN. And she's right. I mean, it, it does add so much value and networking and you get to like almost like see how, how well you are at doing things and even talking to, to people adds, you know, oh, you've done that. Oh, I'm going to try that too. I think, I think that's a neat thing to try, you know, within your scope of practice. And it gets you to kind of ask those questions. You kind of realize that we're all in the same boat, even though we work at different hospitals. And there's so much out there to talk to people about, about nursing care, that everyone should do it. I, I think it's like one of the biggest things that we can do. Does anybody have a question so far for Shelby? No questions? All right, we'll just continue right on. So, I just wanted to ask about like your classes. Like, is it like a full-time like schedule, like a normal college uh, schedule and like what kind of classes you take in the beginning? What type of stuff? Um, so last summer we started, I started in May, uh, last May. And for the first week we took a business class. Um, and, it, and that was the first doctorate class that I took. Um, and we were all like, oh, what are we taking this class for? Um, and really like, 
I'm not going to like go through like what all we learned, but it's so beneficial. Um, and, uh, they were long days. They were eight hour days, but we were finished with the class after a week. Um, and then we had the rest of the semester to write the six papers that were due for that class. Um, after that, we had, there were four classes that we took then over the summer, um, AMP one, chem and physics, uh, physical assessment one, and then um, an ethics and legal class. Uh, and then last semester we had um, principles of anesthesia one, physical assessment two, AMP two, pharmacology and research. So, I mean, they're, they're pretty heavy loads um, every semester. This semester, um, we had uh, coexisting diseases, farm two, principles, no, not principles. Um, and then our um, uh, TNT class, which was, it was part of our SIM, um, and then our clinical. And then from here on out, um, uh, everything's kind of up in the air as far as when we get back into the hospital. As of right now, they're hoping for June for us to finish our clinical portion from the spring semester before we start um, our summer clinical. Um, once summer clinical starts, then I'll be in the OR three days a week. Um, and then we have um, health policy and principles of anesthesia too. And then after, I want to say after the fall, then I'm done with didactic work. It's just clinical and board prep um, and finishing um, terminal senior project. Awesome. Anyone else have questions? Someone start asking questions if you don't. So Shelby, uh, speaking of clinicals, so in your traditional programs, you have hospitals that are sort of already matched to your program. What, where are the hospitals located for your work or for any hospital? Are they within the area? Are they outside the area? What, what does that look like? Um, so the majority of them are like right within the Susquehanna Valley. So uh, York Hospital, um, all of Pinnacle, Hershey is now a clinical site, um, Holy Spirit, um, all of Wellspan, and then um, the VA as well. Uh, there are clinical sites in Philly. Uh, they go to CHOP. There are two sites in Wisconsin that you can apply for to go out there. Um, the, uh, the good thing about the Wisconsin sites is they um, do a lot of blocks. Um, so you get a lot of block experience out there. Uh, and then West Virginia, a couple in Maryland. Um, so really uh, all over. Um, Johnstown is another one. Um, Wisconsin, West Virginia, and CHOP, uh, you put in for those. Uh, not everyone gets to go there, um, and they don't send you there if you don't want to go. Have you applied to go to any one of those programs? Um, so for CHOP, they ask that you've um, done a pediatric rotation before that. Um, so a lot of people go to West Virginia before um, heading to CHOP. Um, I'll go to West Virginia, um, and if I really like peds, um, once we start doing pediatric cases, then um, I may consider consider going out to Philly too. West Virginia, uh, Wisconsin is pretty much off the table just because um, it's an eight to twelve week rotation, and I can't be away from my kids that long. It's it's nice that you have that option that if you don't want to be away from your kids, you know you don't have to. There's other excellent choices. Mm -hmm. of getting out there. I'm going to switch gears now. What are, what are some of your biggest lessons that you've learned as a nurse? <laughs> um, no rush. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, honestly, the biggest, um, the absolute biggest one um, 
for me is you have to be willing to support one another and to develop one another. Um, and that I didn't know uh, until, you know, after my career started. Um, you know, there, there are people that are going to be difficult to work with. Um, and you're going to have that no matter where you go, but it's still your job to, um, to develop one another, um, regardless of if you get along or not, um, because people's lives are still at stake. Um, you know, it's not, oh, well, that's her patient. I'm not going in there or, um, you know, it's, it's everyone's responsibility, um, and I mean, I'll be honest, I was not the nicest person when I first started. Um, there, there were times when I was downright mean to, um, to coworkers. And part of that is, you know, my own self-reflection and what did I want to do and what did, what made me happy? Um, and it wasn't that, um, and I, you know, I definitely switched gears, um, probably about five, six years into, into working, um, and really kind of took on more of that. Um, I want to be the go-to person. I want to be the person that people come to for help and, um, you know, taking part in developing new nurses and nurses new to the ICU from, you know, another area. Um, and I, I felt, I felt myself grow tremendously, um, once I recognized that in myself. Um, and I honestly, I think that's, that hands down is, um, one of the biggest for me. That's really neat to hear you say, hear you say that, um, because I certainly have seen you grow, you know, even being, I, I mean, I was your, your coworker, right? Your even coworker, but like you have your experience about me, right? And so like even seeing that as somebody that has less experience in the field of nursing, just like watching like, I don't know, someone come from a mountain, you know, it was, it was really cool to see that. Um, why did you become an ICU nurse? Um, so I worked, um, I got through orientation on med surge and we did a team model, um, at Holy spirit. And I still did it. Um, so I quickly, uh, I wasn't like, I was maybe off orientation for two weeks and I quickly found another position. Um, and it was a step down cardiac unit. Um, and I worked there for about six months, went through a critical care course at Holy spirit and I was like, what I'm doing now isn't enough. And I want to go to unit. Um, for me, critical care is the ultimate. Um, I eat, breathe, live critical care. Um, I like, I, I just love every single aspect of it. I love taking care of people. I love taking care of people at their worst, doing everything possible to make them better. And I mean, for our unit, those cases were few, few and far between um, where you truly felt that you saved someone's life and not even just their life, their quality of life, um, that they were the person that, that they were beforehand. Um, and you kind of just live off of those few experiences. Um, some of my best compliments that I got over my entire career were about end of life. Um, you know, you gave my dad dignity when there was little to be had. Um, you were an angel coming into that room. You took care of all of us, not just him or her. Um, and and that's just part of it. Um, you know, I, you know, you get your crash and burn patient in the morning and you spend 12 hours busting your butt on that patient, but you've stabilized them. And that's you, that you've done that. You've noticed every single little change, um, and got them to a point where you're like, Oh, this is what I did today. <laughs> 
I think I think that's like that's the best part too. Um, that that I that I certainly experienced. I know some of my students have told me that they've felt even in the short time frame that they're on the unit that they've seen something that helps stabilize someone, and then we talk about what happens afterwards and how busy things can be. I think that it's it's just like one of those moments that you know you you, you work so hard in that tiny little room or big room, whatever your rooms look like. Ours are pretty pretty big, um, but others are very tiny. That once you can feel that sense of accomplishment, it's kind of like, you know, just, just kind of trickles from there. And you feel more confident as you become a nurse and as you do ICU care day in and day out. Um, I, I will say that, you know, I've learned a lot from Shelby, even just kind of trying to be better at patients who are dying. I don't have the... I, I, I just don't have what Shelby has. I'll, I'll be very honest. Like Shelby has this way about her that she just kind of understands how everyone in the room feels at that time. That's very sensitive because I think Shelby can read sensitivity off of people so much better than, than I can, you know, it's something that I work on every day. What, what was some of your like toughest moments in ICU care during that time? Oh, um, there's a lot. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, the first, the first patient that died for me at Hershey, um, was a trauma and I sat with his mom for four nights. Um, I can still remember her. I know his name. Um, I know what room they were in. Um, and that was in 2006. Um, there are certain things that, you know, affect you that you just, you don't forget. Um, one of my, uh, good friends was in a room with me, um, when a young woman was dying and her best friend was in the room. I'm going to start, I'm going to choke up a little bit. Um, and, and she said to her friend who was in the bed, um, I hope I've been a, as good of a friend to you as you've been to me. Um, and she had little kids, you know, I think a lot of it, um, things touch you a little bit differently after you have kids. Um, and after you've kind of, uh, kind of lived through life a little bit and seen a little bit more, um, you know, there, there are definitely people that, um, that you're able to connect to on a, like a completely different level than other patients. Um, there are a lot of people that, um, that I took care of that, um, I felt an attachment to more than others. Um, and especially, you know, with their families, since, you know, our patients, uh, very few of them you can really interact with, um, You know, I, um, I said, if, you know, if I didn't get into CRNA school, I don't know that I would still be in the ICU. Um, I may be, um, but it was getting really hard. Um, sometimes you just get to a point where, you know, are, am I doing the right thing? Am I really helping people with what I'm doing to them? Um, I've always kind of gravitated towards um, end of life care. Um, it doesn't, uh, yes, it, it affects me, um, but I truly believe that you're easing someone else's suffering um, and they're going someplace better. Um, yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, being in the unit, you're uh, still charged with um, taking care of people for organ donation. Um, I did enjoy those cases. Um, I was fortunate enough to, um, take care of a woman that her family did choose organ donation. And I went into the operating room. Um, I said, I would never do it again. Um, because I took care of her when she was alive. I had conversations with her. Um, in, in my new role, um, I won't have that conflict. Um, but it, it was, 
it was a it was a difficult experience being in the operating room with her. I think that probably was one of the more challenging things that you've ever done. And as as my, as the clinical instructor, we talk a lot about what that's like. And I try telling my students that when you are involved in an organ donation case, it's a heck of a lot different when you're taking care of that patient going to the OR and seeing that happen, that process happen, then kind of just being that outlier of a student and trying to understand what's happening. Because until you get into that, into that moment and into people's emotions and into what it means to you and you, and you see them, it's, it can be a whirlwind of emotions. So I've tried to do my best at describing what it's like and, and for it to, for them to, it, to be okay to talk to somebody about it because there's been times when, you know, in certain different cases where the person did not expire. And that is very hard for me to accept because I want it, you know, to have it in a very step-by-step fashion. And then we return upstairs and then you know everything moves on. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. And that's probably one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with as well as certain like traumatic experiences as well. Um, we talked a little bit about death in our last podcast with Kevin in terms of traumas coming into the ED and how that affects you too. Mm -hmm. Similar things can happen in an ICU environment, right? They come up, things happen, chaos can sometimes, you know, be a thing. And then you just have no power to save someone. And that can be very difficult for the nurse because you're taking care of those patients. That is you at the head of the bed, right? And moving on can be, can be difficult. So let's switch our tone here a little bit. What are some of your favorite ICU moments aside from, you know, partnering with, with, with some of the patients and talking to them and getting to know them? What are some of your other, PG rated please, some of your other favorite moments of ICU care? Um, honestly, like a lot of it had to do with who I worked with. Um, that's the reason that I stayed in that unit as long as I did. Um, we, we had a good group of people, um, and we all, uh, shared almost like a sixth sense of humor. And I think you have to, um, you have to be able to find, uh, humor in, in things, um, not only for yourself, but also for your patients to help kind of lighten things up. Um, you know, neuro patients are uh, a unique breed. Um, there, uh, <laughs> there are, uh, am I allowed to share stories without names? Like, you can certainly share stories without name. We, we, okay. we do have to keep that compliant. All right. Um, so, so, I mean, there were, there were multiple patients that we had over the course of the years that would, um, do some, uh, wildly inappropriate things that wouldn't necessarily occur, um, if they, um, hadn't had a brain injury. Um, we had one patient, uh, was having a procedure done. The physician was sterile, um, and he untied his pants and his pants dropped to the floor and he couldn't break sterility so he just stood there with um with his pants on <laughs> um yeah i you know there i think you have to be able to um to be light about certain things uh especially when you're working in um in an environment like that um if you like if you're not able to find the humor in some things then uh, you're going to get burnt out real quick. Um, there, it's a sad, it's a sad place. Um, you rely on your coworkers to help lift you up after those difficult cases of, you know, you tried everything, you still weren't able to save them, or, you know, you're, um, you know, a young 20 year old with a kid who ends up passing away and that's the same age as you, you know, it, um, you, you have to be, re be able to rely on one another and, um, kind of live in that moment for that moment. And then you have to move on. Um, and the, the best way that I've found, um, for me is 
to be with people that understand what it's like to be in that situation. You know, my husband tries to help out as much as he can. Um, but he, a non-medical person just doesn't understand sometimes the things that, that you see, especially in the ICU. Um, you know, I have, um, I have a friend who's undergoing treatment right now for cancer and, um, it's, uh, it's upsetting to, to me, um, just the, on a personal level, um, but other friends of hers that I talk with, um, they're overwhelmed with fear and, uh, you know, I, we have a, a unique um, perspective on things, um, especially after some of the things that, that we've seen that it just doesn't seem so bad. Um, you know, other things that happen. Um, you know, I saw her yesterday and she looks great. I think she looks great um, considering what she's been going through. Um, my husband always uh, scolds me when something happens to the kids. Um, you're being so nonchalant. And I'm like, what? I'm like, they're not bleeding to death. They're still breathing. They're fine. Like, just relax. It'll be okay. <laughs> just put some bandage on it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't think I would probably have survived, you know, 10 years in ICU care without coworkers and the just taking things like lightly. Because I've worked with people who are a little bit serious about what they do and I like that about them, but when I want to laugh about something that I want to laugh about, and I know that my coworkers will totally understand the humor that I'm coming from, like that's that's the place I want to be in because I want to. I'll come to work the next day and clean up monumental amounts of stool. You know, I'll come to work the next day and and you know, go and flip every turn, flip and turn every patient in, in the unit with somebody else's help, even if they're like you know a couple hundred pounds. And it's difficult for me to do that day because my back hurts. But if somebody laughs with me during those times and makes it like a really good thing, then it just becomes, you know, so much better. Um, does anybody have any questions for Shelby about anything that we talked about? I have a quick question. Um, so going, I don't want to turn it back into the dark side of things, but um, when you were talking about end of life stuff, how would you how did you go through it when you were fresh out of school? Because I personally haven't, you know, dealt with my, pa I, I had one patient who passed away mm -hmm. and while like I saw it, but other than that, like I haven't had a lot of experience, I guess, seeing that or dealing with that. So as a new grad, what would you recommend to make it a little, not as horrible, I guess, as you can, um, you know, I, I think it's horrible, even as a veteran ICU nurse, um, you know, I, there were still times that I would cry um, when someone was dying just because of the situation. Um, you know, you still have a job to do. Um, your job is to take care of them, um, to keep them as comfortable as possible. Um, but you're also trying to take care of the family. Um, and it's, I don't think that there's a way that I can tell you that, oh, this is how I did it. Um, it's more of like a, a growth process of, you know, you, you still have to connect on a human level. Um, there are, there are nurses that just have to completely shut it off because that's what, that's their coping mechanism. I'm not able to do that. Um, I, um, most often I cried along with the family because it's sad, you know, they're, they're losing someone that they love and care about. And it's sad. Um, and, you know, I don't want to say that that's what made me special. Um, but I, just, I, I had the ability to connect with most people. Um, and I, grew um, over the course of 
gosh, till I, till I was comfortable caring for an end of life patient, I'm going to say it was probably six or seven years in, um, just, just until I, until I grew up, um, and, you know, was able to be, to be that person, that strong person in the room that the family could rely on that, um, the patient could still rely on, you still have a job to do more often than not, you still have another patient or two to take care of. Um, and you have to be able to be that person in the room, but also as soon as you walk out of that room to leave it there and to continue on with taking care of other people. And the only thing that, um, that helps with that is experience, I think. Anybody else have questions for Shelby? <laughs> Here's your kid, Shelby. <laughs> you hear them yelling. Other animals. <laughs> All right, well, if anybody does not have any other questions for Shelby, um, you can certainly email her for me and I can ask them and we can follow up and stuff. Shelby, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this. This is episode three. And I think this was one of the most in-depth conversations that we've had about both CRNA school and what it takes to get there, but also ICU nursing and some of the really more intricate details that I don't even get to teach my students. We don't have time. Um, but it's really nice to hear that from another person's perspective. 